This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek, show number 597 with guest Christian Johnson, recorded on January 18th, 2024. Here on Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home news reviews product updates and conversation all for the average tech guy i'm your host jim Carlson, broadcasting live from the average guy.tv studios <laughs> here in a polar vortex bellevue nebraska negative 22 last sunday negative 20 let's check the radar here negative 27 on saturday here and of course we'll post the show with some world-class show notes out at the average guy.tv big thanks to tanya jordan from Bark, who joined us last week and uh, or two weeks ago, and uh, we played her interview in. Of course, we appreciate her and her coming on the show. Hopefully, you got a chance to check out Bark. Uh, if you didn't, go back and listen to that episode 597. A big thanks to our Patreon subscribers who help support uh, every single month, and you can join for a month or uh, for a, a more than a month if you'd like. Check it out, uh, theaverageguy.tv slash Patreon, and then an update on our affiliate link if you go to theaverageguy.tv. Bottom right-hand corner, right above the Maple Grove Partners uh, 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 graphic, it says support on Amazon. And if you click on that, it doesn't cost you anything. We make a few bucks on the Amazon side. You can check that out today. And, of course, I mentioned Maple Grove Partners, and he's with me. He's back. He's here. Christian Johnson, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Jim. It's good to be back uh, kicking off. Uh, eh, we're still pretty early in 2024, yeah. so kicking off the new year with Home Gadget Geeks. I like it, and it's uh, uh, there's plenty to talk about already. So, yeah. In December, we celebrated 13 years. 13 years ago, you and I and some others <laughs> did the very first episode of this. Do you ever think... Like no, when, <laughs> we, no, no. like thirteen years is just bonkers. Um, oh. It's cool. It's really cool. Um, I don't think I ever thought too that we would be, um, you know, hosting and building a kind of hosting platform around podcasting. It's kind of how it really got started, right? Yeah, um, yeah. been doing that for about just as long. Um, so no, uh, hard to imagine it's been 13 years. Also scary to think that there's 13 years of pixels of my face on YouTube. Um, I'm sure all the AI robots have studied them closely at this point. Um, yeah, but pretty, pretty cool accomplishment. You ever thought of just permanently pixelating your face for, for whatever? Oh yeah. You know, you may have to get, um, face replacements might be the new Botox in 30 years when you evade, uh, to evade all the AI, uh, o- overseers, um, trans- <laughs> transplant, transplant your face. Yeah. Yeah. It's always amazing to me when I think about 13 and all the things we've talked about and all the, you know, to the point where some of the technology we used to talk about isn't relevant anymore. And then some yeah. of the things we didn't talk about enough or, not a lot of have become major topics. And so it's just, you know, we, we have the Christian's corner always had some kind of element of the future and big data, you know, some of those kinds of things. And of course, yeah, all of that has turned into this AI space. We'll talk a little bit about that here, uh, here coming up here, uh, later in the show. 
Um, Christian, last time you were on, you were talking about uh, all the vomiting you were doing to get your pilot's license. Lots of vomiting, yeah. Lots of vomiting going on there. Uh, give us a quick update. Where are you at today? How far along are you? How, how have things gone in obtaining that pilot's license? Yeah, uh, it took 106 hours and 214 takeoff and landings, but uh, we uh, completed the private pilot certificate. So um, I'm able to take passengers up now and uh, joined a small flying club uh, in the area. Uh, allows me to fly a, a 172R model, which is it's just clean, pristine. They take great care of it. Um, and that's been a real awesome treat uh, to do that. And so, uh, yeah, uh, my goal in the beginning of the year last year was to complete the license. Most people call it a license. It's technically a certificate, but, you know, complete the private pilot in 2023. Um, And we did that with 12 days left in the calendar year. So it was awesome. And uh, this year I'm working on my instrument rating um, so that, you know, expands the the types of weather conditions um, that you can take the aircraft into and, and fly safely with. So, when you're flying without just instruments, what do they call that? There's a term for yeah, that. Yeah, right? IFR, instrument flight rules, is basically right. the instrument-only VFR, visual flight rules, is essentially um, you're, you're, you can use the instruments to help augment your flying, of course, but you're really supposed to be flying by visual reference. We flew Omaha to Centennial, uh, Colorado, one time in a Cessna. And he was only VFR rated in um, Grand Island. No, Kearney. One of those places got fogged in. Mm. And he was like, (laughs) sorry, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Can't go anywhere. Like, we're just going to stay. We ended up staying a whole extra day in, in Centennial waiting for the fog to clear so he could get that. How long would it take you to get your instrument rating then generally? Um. It's interesting. It's actually a equivalent amount of ground school work or content from the private and um, the flying requirements are also fairly um, in depth because really in many respects, it's almost like you're learning to fly all over again, just in a different way. Um, So, you know, stage one of the training, you basically need to be able to demonstrate all of the, maneuvers that you learned in the private with um without visual reference so instrument only you have to do all your stalls and steep turns and emergency procedures and etc but then there's a a, quite a bit of new content in terms of how you navigate and communicate and do flight planning uh changes quite a bit from vfr to ifr um so I think if you're doing it part-time like I am, it's probably going to take you about the equivalent time. Um, so I would say, man, nine months if you're flying one to two times a week um, and maybe up to a year or more if you're going slow. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. So same amount of time. This time next year, we'll be do it. We'll do a podcast with you. That's right. <laughs> I got the instrument rating. I'm good. Yep. I'm good to go. Yeah. Well, I, so with VFR, where it's visual, the weather is everything. Have you caught yourself? Do you feel like you're more weather aware? Oh now yeah, than you were before. And what, like, what do you, what do you use to check the weather? Have you changed your weather apps? Yeah, I, I, I realized that all the weather apps on my phone just lied to me, and so I stopped <laughs> using them. Um, and the the only app I use now is ForeFlight, which is kind of like Ooh. if you're a pilot 
that's kind of the leading platform if you're on a on an iPhone for um it does everything. I mean, it's everything from it's an augmented glass display when you're in the plane to it helps you with, uh, you know, briefing, pre-flight, weather briefing, et cetera. Uh, but it's just a really sophisticated application. Uh, the standard subscription is like 110 a year, which sounds like a lot. But for what this application does, I mean, it's just really incredible. Um, and it has, you know, a big part of being a pilot is understanding how to read weather and not just your local weather where you are in the moment, but also understanding um, prognostics and weather in the area, weather aloft, weather at the surface, um, at different airports and along and in flight in your route and how those things can change. So um, it's really funny, but when people are like, so how warm is it going to be out today? Or, hey, what do you think about this or that? I literally, I just, I, I search for the nearest airport to where someone's asking me and I read the uh, the the TAF or the Terminal Aerodome Forecast, which is basically a forecast at that airport within a five nautical mile radius. Um, <laughs> and you'll be able to tell them exactly what's going to happen in way more detail than most of the weather apps on your phone. And I've seen, you know, huge discrepancies between what the general weather apps will tell you and what, you know, something like that will tell you. And so yeah. I just stopped yeah. using the other ones. Um, <laughs> you know, in one tab... I can get an hourly forecast going, you know, up to uh, 10 days out. And yeah, you don't trust it after five days, but anything within that five days, yeah, it, you know, it might not be fully accurate on what the ceiling cover is going to be, you know, five days out, but it's, it's pretty darn good 36 hours out. Certainly if you're reading a TAF or a METAR and then even four flights, you know, hourly prognostics are, are, are pretty dialed in. Um, so that has definitely changed the way I consume and think about weather. Is that because the people who's, who use it, their life is on the line. And so they're more serious about it. You look, look you go to the weather channel, it's ads mostly, right? AccuWeather, yeah. eh, they're a little, they do a, a little bit better. I've actually been using kind of a rogue, my radar, which you can, that's, just a small little company that's trying to bust into that space. They're actually trying to go and do an IPO and, and do that. But the people generally, their lives aren't on the line. In this case, these are pilots. Like they need to know, do you think they do they just take weather more seriously or why do you think they're more accurate? You know, it's a, it's a combination of things. Um, you know, if I told you what the wind speed was in your area, you might not really care at the surface. You might be like, Oh, Okay. Um, because for you, like the difference between five knots and 12 knots is probably not something you're materially going to care about. But to your point, if I'm a pilot, I absolutely care about that difference. And I very much care about what direction the wind's coming from, because that's going to determine the best runway to take off or land at. Um, and it's going to help me understand if I have crosswinds that I need to deal with. And if you're a pilot and you have crosswinds on a landing or a takeoff, you need to be able to correct for that so that you're uh, going straight with, uh, in relation to the relative path that you're flying. So, um, I don't think it's that the information isn't there, but you definitely get your, you force yourself to consume and get a much more complete picture than what someone's willing to tell you on a weather channel. Um, and yeah, radar is interesting and, you know, the general weather apps are interesting, but the data sources are a little bit different, right? So like, um, a commercial product like ForeFlight has to hit a certain kind of standard of quality, if that makes sense, in order to support the aviation community. 
um, but also like NOAA and National Weather Service um, and Aviation Weather Center, these these types of government, U.S. government weather um, products are also held to a certain level of standard. So when you kind of add all that up, it's I don't think it's that, you know, your general commodity apps or news channels or platforms don't have access to this information. But um, I think it's it's your understanding of how the weather will move will change a lot, right? For example, um, in a normal weather channel briefing, you know, they might guesstimate when rain will start and stop and you might get it on the hourly, but like you could know if that forecast is accurate. If you're like, Oh, the winds are picking up from this direction. And I know the, the, the cold fronts here and it's moving along this way. And Oh, now it's going to be moving faster. Like when you can start adding those pieces up in your head, your ability to understand how the forecast matches the reality changes much quicker. And so that helps you uh, in, in accurately understanding what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and there may be more sensationalism to some of the apps than yeah, just a little right. Then, then, you know, Hey, it's, everybody's got to do what they do to make a living. But, uh, you know, when you think about the weather from that perspective, um, yeah, well, yeah, that's a hundred bucks a year. That's 10 bucks a month. You know, yeah, you're right. If you want to get a Netflix subscription, (laughs) what are you waiting for? Good way to, to look at it. Um, Joe says been considering putting up a weather station to integrate with home assistant. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Well, we're like, I've always thought about putting a weather station here, you know, at the average guy.tv studios where I could Bluetooth to it and get the local rain and wind and all that other stuff. And then I, every time, just about the time I'm going to take it off the shelf or order it on Amazon, I go, nah, the, the weather apps are good enough. Aren't they really? I mean, do we really? Listen, if you enjoy tracking the weather right down to your location, no shape. That's what you want to do. But uh, don't you think the weather apps are good enough in most cases to get the rain, humidity, wind, those kinds of things? I think it depends what general app you use. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think for the average guy, probably fine. Um, But... um, Weather stations are also cool. So yeah, no, they are. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> they they are big nerdy instruments, and they're super yeah. cool, right? Um, and I'd love, you know, I keep I always look in my backyard. And I'm like, ooh, I could put a weather station right there. You know, you want you want them in an open area. You want them to be able not be influenced. You got to get them high enough so that they that they're out of the the path of the of the homes in the area trees aren't affected by it or they're not affected by the trees right um uh, john says uh, out in chat he says uh, unless there's a major weather event it usually doesn't matter right outside of being interesting i think i'd always i always wanted to have one of those super high-tech weather stations that reported in to the other ones right there's kind of networks of these things that you can you can go on some of the maps and see some of these things, and then I go to take it off the shelf, and I'm like, you know, I'm just not sure I need to be maintaining another thing in my yard. Anyways, well, 
Have you have you thought of doing putting one there in your ever thought about putting a weather station of some kind in your? You know, I, I haven't, um, but I think they're super cool. I'd like to finish building some ham radio station type stuff first, um, <laughs> and then I'll then I'll be able to move on to the weather station product. Wait a minute, uh, are you doing product. ham? Are you What's doing that? ham stuff? Are you doing ham stuff right now? It's been a while. I have the ham uh, license, and I have some. I have coax and shielded cabling and uh, D star radios and I have all the gear for it. I just haven't had the, the, the physical and mental bandwidth to get, yeah. get, get my head back around it. So been, been flying a little bit lately. Well, yeah, there's certainly, I mean, this time of the year, there's a lot going on with weather. I mean, we had this morning, I went in to work. It was, I don't know, 20, let's say it's 23, 24 degrees. And they, they were calling for snow at, at four and right at four it came. And then we had the national weather service uh, came in and said, Hey, snow squalls are possible in your area. And bam, it was like there oh, was. white out. Yeah, yeah. Like a white out. And uh, it, then it stopped by six. It stopped. And uh, you know, I've got I don't know, an inch and a half, maybe two inches of snow to go clear in the morning. That's the robot that I need is the snow clearing robot. Snow clearing, yeah. Go out there and it's a mess. It's you know how it is. You know how it is. Mm-hmm. It's a mess. So we got some work to do. Um, okay, I got a I think it was through the Discord group. I had someone ask me the question. It's been a while. We haven't it's been a while since you and I have talked about LastPass and Bitwarden. Let me ask you the question now. Some water has gone under the bridge with LastPass. They've done some things. Uh, wh- where are you at today in that breach? Um, and where are we at with Bitwarden? I still love Bitwarden. Um, it's just the interface has been awesome. And this, like the security assessment hasn't really changed for me since the last time we talked about it. Um, they've added some new features lately. So um, the one... Um, that they just launched last week is a um, passkey beta. Um, and this is pretty cool because this is a new kind of password list technology that has come out. It's part of the whole FIDO framework. Um, and it's, it's somewhat of an evolution um, because once you set up your passkey, like you don't, you no longer need a, even a master password. You don't need a username and you don't even need two-factor authentication. So you authenticate with this passkey, um, and that that passkey is whatever is used to lock the device, so fingerprint, face, pin, et cetera. Um, so it's really uh, cool to me to see they're upping their game on what types of authenticators are used to replace even the master password. Um, and the, you know, the product underneath the hood is the same great product. So, um, it's 10 bucks a year for the license seat that I have, um, which yeah, premium, I think down there. Um, yeah, there you go. $10 billed annually. And like, literally like it's the best $10 I think I spend all year. Um, and, uh, I'm still, uh, tinkering. Uh, one of, maybe one of my catch up projects will be to get, uh, self-hosted, uh, but warden, uh, service up on maple grove hosting for folks um because i'm i I think that 
whether you want to use the Bitwarden centralized or your own, um, I think is up to you. I don't think it materially changes the security one way or another, but I've had a lot of fun doing the self-hosted. And I think um, there's really cool ways you can integrate that with the kind of applications and, and stuff that, that you want to do as an enthusiast or an individual. Um, I don't use Vault Warden. Um, I literally just take the um, Bitwarden open source distribution and I run through the setup, install and build VMs out of them. So um, at some point, uh, whether I do a container, I should, I really should do a container image, but um, whether it's container images or micro VMs, um, I'd love to get it to a point where we can just do spot hosted Bitwarden instances for folks um, because it's just cool. Um, on the last pass side of the equation, um, I got to be honest, I, I haven't really followed their evolution too closely since their last uh, what are you doing moment. Um, but um, I've had no reason to look back, I guess, which is somewhat telling of how much I've enjoyed uh, Bitwarden. So it's like, you know, even if you look at um, the pricing model for LastPass, like, okay, let's, let's pick dimensions to rate this thing, right? Because um, why not? Um, let's see. Personal last pass is, uh, let's see, 30 days free. And then it's $3 a month or families for $4 a month. So they're going to charge me 40 a year for their family plan. And so I'm paying four times as much as much as the Bitwarden premium license. And for what? I don't know yet. Um, when I read the features for premium, it says includes all premium features, access on devices, up to six people, group sharing, personal security dashboards. And like, okay, that sounds like cute and all, but like I, I get all that with Bitwarden. So um, I'm sure the company will be around for years to come and will be fine. Um, but I don't see anything compelling that they're offering that is is you know, kicking it out of the park from what um, I've been able to get out of Bitwarden um, for far less money and maybe far less effort and far less blemish on their record so far in mm-hmm. um, managing things. And again, you know, the one thing I think you're always going to get with Bitwarden that you're not going to get with LastPass is the fact that it is scrutinized at the open source level, right? Like any security practitioner can go and look at Bitwarden in its entirety, the server implementation, the client implementation, et cetera. And if they have a zero day problem, they're going to find out about it. Sadly, the hard way, but like the source code is there. So for LastPass, it's closed source. I'm sure there's all sorts of audits and security and other things they do to, you know, assess the correctness of their solution. But that's not quite the same as the kind of democratization of self-assessment that you get with a platform like Bitwarden. I have been doing their free plan in in moving, you know, I was going to move things over starting and I started doing that and I did the A's and the B's and, you know, I didn't want to do the full export and import and then still have to check them and change them. I was kind of making that change and somewhere in the C's or D's, I got lost <laughs> and like, so I still have most of the alphabet left on LastPass, but I have LastPass only on my Brave browser, 
and then Bitwarden is in, I use Edge pretty regularly. And it yeah. it's, so Bitwarden is on Edge. So nice. I've kind of segregated them by browser, which is really okay. weird, right? Okay. And um, uh, so every once in a while, like I'll be somewhere and I'll be like, oh, it's I, it'll ask me for the password. It's not there. I have to go over to the <laughs> Brave browser, <laughs> log into to LastPass, get it. Get the so did you bring it over? Did you do a one-time export import? I didn't. No, okay. No, I didn't. Because I was like, uh, what I want to do is check them off and delete them as I go, and then I want to go in and change every single one. And right. I thought that would that would incent me to change them as I went, so that it wasn't. Because I listen, <laughs> if I export an import, I'm not changing a single one because I'm going to yeah. be like, all right, I'll just get do it as I go, and I'm not going to yeah. end up changing any of them. You know, honestly, it's a feature I kind of wish it's not, I think, very easy to do by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think it would be really cool if um, the next evolution of password manager is one that auto rotates the passwords for you um, with the provider. And um, I call that a short term solution in the sense that I really think 20 years from now, we're going to be finally done with like passwords. Uh, I hope I really hope. I don't know. Me but too. like, I think we're going to get there. And so um, until we get there and until all these applications get upgraded, like, wouldn't it be awesome if you only had to worry about having the latest authenticator standard with your identity manager, we'll call it that. And your identity manager handles any type of automatic credential rotation for your legacy credentials. And then, you know, you don't have to think about it anymore. It's like, oh, how long has it been? I don't know. Someone asks you, what's your password, your bank account? Gee, seriously, I don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, that would be cool. Um, so see, yeah. a free feature, a, a free product feature idea for LastPass's roadmap. I hope they heard it. Well, and I, I think so by this time, I don't, maybe it's been a year since I started doing this. Um, I All the passwords I need... I probably have pulled over every once in a while. I run into one if, and I, I kind of think you check me on this thinking at this point, if I just declare last pass bankruptcy and I go, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm going to check the notes one final time to make sure there's no keys that I've put in there. And then I'm just going to delete the account. And if I do run into account that I need, I'll just have to invoke a password reset and make sure that I do it through Bitwarden so that it's in there. It's in there permanently. The keys are some crypto stuff that maybe I copy and paste it into notes. I do want to make sure I get those things moved over. Passwords. I don't know, Christian. What? What? At this point, do you think is that safe to think, or or is there danger in what I'm thinking? Um. In which in which part specifically? Oh, about you, just deleting. Like, okay, so I've I obviously I have <laughs> D or E through Z of passwords yeah. that I've never, yeah. I've never right. I've never rotated. I've never, I've never gone and I haven't changed. I definitely haven't changed them yet. They're still out there. They're still with my old password. It's Do, probably. What? I think of it as more of like a ranking system, right? Like we're yeah. we're sorting your passwords right now by alphabet. If we could sort it by priority, like are your are your are your bank accounts oh, banking your, for sure? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let's be clear. 
the ones I use all the time have already made the the conversion over banking, finance, yeah, the email. Those kinds I, I would say the things that move your life are the ones you want to make sure are getting rotated frequently. Um, if you have a laundry list of other ones, then like rather than indexing on the alphabet, I usually index on the last time you used the login. Um, that can kind of go both ways. You can argue it both ways. On one way, you can be like, gee, I haven't logged into this site in five years. And then maybe they've been breached in the last five years and I would never know about it because I haven't logged in or gotten any communication from them. Um, But hopefully, like for those types of things you're not really using, like hopefully it's limited to like some limited amount of PII that you're storing with that provider otherwise, because if you're using it, chances are you're, I don't know, the things that you use are generally going to be where more of your your bits of your identity and, and your life are stored um so like who cares if someone got your form login to a website six years ago right and like maybe the answer is you don't care and then maybe the answer is gee it was a little bit more important than i thought so you can never be sure but i mean as a litmus test if you got the money and the identity things and the communication things like in a healthy place there's just i mean how many different web services do you think you've signed up for in the last 10 years? And then how many of them do you think you still use today? And if you answer those two questions, you can probably think about how many passwords in your vault are, I don't want to say useless, but not a whole lot of value if they get compromised either. Well, I think, you know, there's, you know, as I'm looking, uh, I, so I pulled it up right now. I'm in the D's. So I have Disney plus, right. That's one of them. I haven't moved over now. I didn't even know I had an account on Disney Plus, to be honest. Uh, but right. but and it's docu- like, what, what's the impact if someone hacks that, right? It's like maybe right. you get a notification that someone logged in from an unknown device, and then okay, you would go and rotate it, right? Can no. they can they buy anything? Probably not. Um, can they change the credit card on the account? Yeah, please go ahead and pay for the account. Have a nice <laughs> day. Um, but like that's about it. Like the damage is yeah. pretty limited there. But but maybe like a DocuSign, like my DocuSign that has yeah, it yeah. just houses my signature, but it's not even my it's not even my real signature, right? I mean, right. Uh, anyways, so that there's that, and then I think of like, um, I'm seeing some like ESP view. I have no idea what that even uh, EthoStream, like I you know, uh, Easy Drive ma.com like it's like i'm almost intrigued though to go with to go back to these sites and like what was i thinking you know what was i fit to run flight radar 24 now that's one that's an important one because we used to monitor all the flights that would you know all the commercial traffic the early days of the pandemic we would sit at the on the deck and I put my I turned my phone on and we'd watch the planes, you know, fly See, over. You would be a great four flight user because you can yeah, get real time right. ADSB traffic on it and have a field day. Yeah, you're right. I probably would love that. Um so fresh desk, like you know, so anyways, there's I need to go in there. I still have 225 that I haven't necessarily cleared out, right? And uh I always keep thinking, oh, I'll some some afternoon. You know, I'll start grinding through these things and get them and get them all figured out. Some of them I've already changed over openai.com. That's already over. That's already moved over. I just need to delete it kind of thing. So it's a little bit of work. Uh, John, uh, it's a little bit of work. 
John says in the chat, he says, I think I've only changed the major ones, banks, credit cards, et cetera. I may have changed more and actually took the uh, the opportunity to delete some other accounts, I think. It's been a long time. And this is the this is the technical debt that lives in these spaces when it's so easy to just save them. You know, hey, I'm on ask on Saturday morning, I'm gonna ask the podcast coach. Somebody asks a question about some, you know, pluralsite.com. And you go, so I go check it out while they're asking questions. I create an account. I save that account to the password manager. Now I've got some technical debt, right? That you got to go back. Okay. Yeah. Should I delete that account? Do I leave it open? Pixabay. I haven't used Pixabay. I'm in the P's, obviously. You know what a Pixabay is? Pixabay is a image site where you can go and get royalty-free images, right? Personal capital, which was uh, was on everybody's everybody's, uh, radar, everybody's podcast radar for a while. You know, everybody's talking about. Um, So, all right. Well, I I still have some work to do. I go in between the two, which is, is awful. It's just, and then because I dropped my account on LastPass, they only allow you the free account on LastPass only allows you mm. one platform, right? And I chose the PC because that's what I was using <laughs> to change them over, right? You know, and so it's, uh, I every time we talk, I, I'm like, when are we going to get to a spot um, when I don't have to do these passwords anymore? And I, st- it seems like we get farther and farther away. I don't know. You think it's any like closer? We get closer, but we get further. I think it's going to take a while for the web applications to catch up to the latest standards. But I do think the identity side is getting very mature. So um, I, I think the technology is mostly there at this point. And it's going to be about, again, like what's going to be the common standard or common approach that migrates these applications to a, a, an identity framework that can just plug and play with the latest generation of identity um, mechanisms. Yeah. Well, if I was, if I was lazy, I would just delete LastPass and see, I'll catch up on them, but I really should go through and audit those accounts. And if I'm not using them, I should close them regardless of what they are. Right. I was finding one in 10, one in 15 were gone. Like they just weren't even there anymore. Don't exist anymore. Yeah. I guess you're, I guess you're safe enough. The thought Christian was, I would have LastPass up in one browser, Bitwarden up in another. And I would just literally go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to open, I'm going to get the URL and the password, open it here, save it in Bitwarden. And then delete it on the other side, and I could kind of go back and forth. The problem is, it's not that simple. Like, yeah, it's a lot of work. You, you go, you go to log in, then you start looking through the site, and you're like, "Oh, well, this is interesting, <laughs> right?" Yeah, it's and the then, scroll problem. Uh, um, when I migrated off a of RoboForm, I did a one-time backup of the Vault file, and then encrypted that again, um, and then. I had everything in Bitwarden and then I pruned going from Bitwarden and I pretty much went through every login and I did the squirrel yeah. exercise as well of, man, I haven't been to this site in I don't know how yeah. long, but the thought of being trying to manage the two at the same time was too much for me. So I just yeah. quit. 
cold turkey on it. Well, the thought of going through Bitwarden and getting them all is almost too much for me. I almost need that accountability of I need to see it in LastPass. I need to see it in Bitwarden. Then I need to delete it in LastPass so I know it's done. I've, I have a feeling I would get to the bees in Bitwarden and then be like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's making me cry, you know, uh, to, to get through some of those things. So, well, I think the key is, right, is do it in the way that works for you. Absolutely. And, right. Uh, that, that helps you get it done. I do need to get back to it. Maybe I'll get from the D's to the G's after we are talking. <laughs> and it seems like each time we talk, I get a little bit farther. Any other thoughts on password managers before we move on? Um, for some reason, when we were having the discussion about password managers and I was thinking of stuff in my vault, I thought about um, HelloFresh only because it's connected my the, the, the phrases LastPass, Jim Collison, Home Gadget Geeks and HelloFresh are all like connected in my head apparently as the same thing. Oh, that's um, hilarious. And so I, I went and pulled my statistics that um, since you referred me on to HelloFresh, we've done 16 boxes in about Ooh. three and a half years, which isn't like I'm not a power user of HelloFresh by any means, but I'm that you know weird guy that refuses to close the account. And so you can only skip up to every four weeks. And so the way HelloFresh works in our family is if I remember to skip every four weeks, then we don't get a box. And if I've forgotten to skip, life really must be busy, which means probably having HelloFresh that week wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. And that has actually That's worked awesome. out for us in a weird way. Um, so this is totally off topic, but no, um, I, I um, yeah, wrote, if you rotate three letters per week uh, in your password manager, you're probably done by summer and it won't be super painful. And uh, HelloFresh, you can go in and count your subscriptions and, you know, it'll be a great time. You can go look over the menu history and you now see the type of squirrel activities that I did when I went rotating everything. That is hilarious. Um, th- what's even funnier about that is that y- you can kind of justify, it's almost like the, a dead man switch. If I'm so busy, I can't cancel HelloFresh. We're probably gonna need it. That's and right. So- <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty oh interesting how that worked. But uh, it's Dude, yeah, that's, that's that is freaking hilarious. I was gonna say, let me see uh, if I can go. Um, I'm trying to log in now. I listen. Sarah took over HelloFresh a while ago. And apparently HelloFresh is in the H's, so I have not moved it to Bitwarden. <laughs> and when I just tried to log into it with LastPass, it gave me the, this isn't the right password. So obviously she's changed the password, which See, is now you don't good know for it. us in HelloFresh. But I'm thinking, like, we've had HelloFresh for like five years now. And we do two a week. This week, sometimes during the winter, it, it just gets so bad. I don't even know where the boxes go. (laughs) This week, it just didn't show up. We'll have to follow up to see if, you know, we get the credit back for it. But um, it's, it's that, that's the one, you know, you're like, we left and the box was supposed to come, you know, we had this big snowstorm and then we got back and the box never showed up. I, maybe there's a UPS guy. (laughs) He's like, well, it was going to spoil. So I'm just going to eat it. And where does where does HelloFresh go when it doesn't get delivered? 
don't know. It's been know. pretty good. They've been pretty good. I don't think we've had a lost box before. So yeah. Yeah. John says he has still hasn't done HelloFresh. You gotta try it once. It's it's pretty great. Like I said, it's taught me. Uh, it's taught me how to cook. J- uh, Jim Shoemaker says, don't forget to check the recovery passwords and all the, uh, and to change all your security questions answers. If someone hacks your password records, probably find those too. I hate passwords. I'm just going to delete them all. <laughs> Listen, Schwab bought TD Ameritrade and it took me months to get that thing, figure out. It's sometimes even setting them up takes a while yeah 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 so anyways well uh an extended hello fresh ad there if you want to on the website there's a light uh if you go to the average guy.tv and check the show notes there'll be a hello fresh link if you want to save i don't know it's like 150 bucks or something click the link give it a try it's pretty delicious and make sure you try the shepherd's pie have you done the shepherd's pie oh so good. Maybe that's because I I've always get the default menu. I've never customized a menu in sixteen oh. boxes. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like dinner roulette for yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what box is coming this week? Exactly. That's hilarious. Well, you've probably tried some pretty good, you know, some pretty good uh, uh, meals. No, John. HelloFresh does not have haggis. Shepherd's pie comes with meat. So it's tepic, it's technically pub pie. That's what they call that. Pub, pub pie? Yeah. And uh, shepherd's pie is made with, with lamb. Shep, yeah, shepherd's pie made with lamb. And then uh, a, a pub pie made with beef. It's so delicious, Christian. You, you got it. Next box. Per, you ought to purposely plan for it. Because this is the time of the year. You know, shepherd's pie with some Guinness. Doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. There are better beers than Guinness too. But okay. That being said, oh, and Jim did a dad joke. He said couldn't stomach it to do. Okay, Christian, uh, let's chat a little. A totally unplanned HelloFresh ad. By the way, I haven't done a HelloFresh ad in months. So good job for bringing that up. Um, Let's talk about AI really quick. We've we we spend some time. It's it's. You know, okay, we got ChatGPT 3, 3, 3.5 came pretty quick behind it. 4.0 released on the paid version with that. We've got, we've got, you know, Bard and Bing and, and folks jumping in. We got AI being added to everything. Then it seems like over the holidays, it got real quiet. Like it just, People's kind of just stop talking about it for the most part. I know that doesn't mean nothing's happening, but what give give us a little update. What are you seeing out there? I think there's a lot happening actually. And um by the way, I agree with that. It just seems like maybe the the outlets that I listen to were like, oh my God, if I have to talk about AI (laughs) one more time, I'm gonna choke somebody. Yeah, no. I mean, maybe that's a good sign that people still know how to take a vacation or or some you know downtime for the holidays. Um, but um, it's I almost I, I I it's funny that you mention um, what you just said because I don't like saying the word AI or talking about it because I feel like people are immediately like oh here we go because it's like it's plastered everywhere. It's just like I. Um, 
uh, was thinking earlier today about how, man, this is, these are really cold temperatures this week. And I don't know what's different about it this time, but like, no one's talking about it the way they talked about it. Like when this happened last time, and I'm sure trying to remember the last like polar vortex type thing. A couple we had, years was ago, like, right? Yeah. Texas it was like a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you couldn't read a single newspaper article or headline or anything. You couldn't touch your phone without the words polar vortex being somewhere on the screen or the paper or whatever. Uh, and so AI is like that on steroids, of course. And so um, I try to think about clever ways to talk about it without using the words that people's eyes don't glaze over because they're just getting bombarded with it right now. But like, look, here's what I see so far. Um, it's growing faster than the internet. And just stop and think about that. Like the most innovative thing that we've done in, you know, the last 50 years, arguably, of course, pick your pick your battles. But like the internet was one of the fastest growing things that's happened, right, in the last 50 years. And AI is making the internet look like it was a nothing burger, which obviously is not um, uh, true, but it's just, to me, the scale is like, holy cow, like the amount of growth that we're doing in AI at the pace we're doing it at is um, remarkable. And I don't even think we found the top, you know, like people are already talking about the hype curve and how we're, we're, we're in the euphoria phase and soon we're going to get down to reality, et cetera. And I don't think we're there yet. Like we're still on the early side of figuring out what we're going to do. Um, and I think that's because we're really a catalyst was sparked. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned about like how Christian's corner in the past on the show has kind of prognosticated some of the cutting edge technologies, but many of them really, if you think about, the last 10 years of Christian's Corner in many ways was preparing the, the, the compute platform for what we're seeing now, yep. right? Because most of what we're doing right now wouldn't be happening without the advances in semiconductors that we're seeing. And so whether you talk about Moore's Law not being dead yet, or you just talk about the sheer innovation that's going on in making um, custom compute chips, that that wasn't on the board in a meaningful way until recently, right? So like we built up all of this cloud compute, we built up machine learning models, we we soaked everyone's toes in the concepts of, of big data and securing that data and analyzing it and being able to do ETL. And those are all good, like low level infrastructure things you gotta get right. Um, but the dynamite that went off in at the infrastructure level was the fact that we, we got really good at semiconductors all of a sudden, like again. Um, and we started making chips that are not just GPU or CPU commodity, but now we're making AI chips. Um, and so I think what you're going to see going with semiconductors over the next two to three years, like we're still in like such an early phase of it that um, I, I don't, necessarily by the the concept of we're in a hype curve yet like we're nowhere near it um hmm. just just ai alone driving change in the way we're manufacturing chips whether they be commodity cpu chips or ai focused chips is remarkable um and then you know you really want to go to blue sky territory in this topic um i there i read this fascinating article um, this week that says 
Microsoft AI discovers 18 new battery materials in two weeks, and it only needed 80 hours to come up with 18 distinct new battery materials that, um, you know, were given, it was a partnership with Department of Energy, right? And this is research that normally takes on the order of years just to come up with a few, you know, different potential battery material ideas, right? Because like lithium has ruled the world for a while. We want to find things that are more dense, run for a long time, don't need to be recharged, et cetera. Um, so, you know, that article in and of itself at this level of infin- infancy and with just the early stage of the semiconductor maturity, um, like incredible stuff, really. Um, it, it's somewhat... Yeah, you can say that the the title may be a little bit hyped or what the actual impact is. It's not like it's not like they discovered the new battery and mass manufactured it and it's working yet. But like just the ideation and the brainstorming that you're seeing coming out of using AI is really going to start changing the way people think about it. Um, and, and one of the um, truly naive statements that, um, you know, the former... Um, OpenAI exec, um, I think he was he was one of their kind of earliest. Um, his name's Zach uh, Cass, and he's one of he was one of the former AI execs, but one of the like OG OpenAI guys. Um, one of his kind of views on this is we could be in a place where AI is the last meaningful thing humans ever invent. And when you think about that statement, you just kind of stop and think about it for a second. Like, wow, what did you just say? AI could be one of the last meaningful things humans invent. And the first time I read it, I thought it was kind of this apocalyptic doomsday statement of like, oh, you're saying like, then they're going to, you know, the AI is coming and going to wipe us out. And that's not what he meant at all. What he was saying was um, the rate at which AI is able to explore these experimental research concepts and turn them into actionable realities that humans can go and do something with mm-hmm. is stunning. And we're still, we haven't even scratched the surface. So again, if we, and you're seeing a lot of market movement in January around this, right? You're seeing Google laying off employees and now more employees and they're laying them off because they want to retool to chase their biggest ideas in AI, You're seeing Mark Zuckerberg and Meta spending now billions, literally billions of dollars on just buying the H1000 um, AI compute platform from NVIDIA, just the hardware. Um, And so you're seeing major big tech companies doing um, a major retool here to chase AI and, and really general AI. And the generative aspects that we're seeing with what we have today already are going to keep growing. So I, um, I'm very, um, to use a market term, if you will, I'm very bullish on where we are in AI right now. I still think we're very much at the early stages. I don't think we've hit the hype curve. Yeah. There's some aspects of hype, I think in terms of what things come out of research are actually going to turn into product realities. But like, if you look at what's holding up the stock market right now, it's semiconductors and, and AI focused companies. That's it. There's not broader market depth going on right now. Um, You know, through January so far, over 50% of the indexes have been down. And the only thing that's been propping up a, a market correction right now has been the fact that semiconductors and big tech continue to lead the way. Um, 
so that shows you where the growth is just in the economy. And to me shows that we're still very much in the early stages of rolling out what this is going to be. And you're still seeing changes in, in even down at the retail level going on with AI. So um, there was an article that came out today from Microsoft about how they're going to set 16 gigabytes as the new minimum RAM for a, a PC to be labeled an AI PC for Windows 12. And that machine is going to need to have a minimum of 40 tops. I don't know that compute term super well, but it basically, if you had to average your total GPU, CPU, and memory compute footprint to compute an AI workload, 40 tops is now the new minimum requirement. Um, and so even down at the home user level, we're talking about what are the minimum requirements going to be to do AI. Um, and we don't even have the platform there yet. The OS isn't even there yet. So also pretty notable to me. Um, the next thing I'm seeing is where the platform investments are being made, right? So like Samsung, for example, is is trying to leave Apple iPhone in the dust when it comes to who's going to win the AI smartphone race, right? So, you know, I think historically, Apple has always had the edge as a hardware design company and really as a design focused company. I think the iPhone just has a little bit more maturity um, and capability than the Google and Android platforms have historically. But you're seeing now a major new competition within, like what's the next evolution of the phone? Apparently it's just another compute platform to do AI in your pocket. Um, and so like a lot, again, a lot of the historical things we talk about, like phones, desktop computers, cloud or or big compute infrastructure, all of them are getting retooled right now for AI. And we're just at the beginning of it. So um, despite kind of the end of the year, kind of the market hype maybe being a bit quieter around AI, there's a lot of stuff moving right now. You're also seeing them uh, getting, getting closer towards what chat GPT-5 is going to look like. So um, in many ways, it's very overwhelming. I don't quite think anyone knows where we're going to be in the next five years just because of how much is moving with AI right now. Um, but I, I definitely think that there's a large groundswell here that um, we're, we're, we're just in the infancy stages of. I mean, it, it really, in many respects, is one of the most uh, terrifying and exciting things that's happened in technology in the last you know, since, since the internet and growing much faster than the internet. PCs for the most part have gotten kind of boring, except yeah. in this world of AI yep. where AI chips, so I'll just call them that, right? S specific chips to be able to do some of this processing um, are, are here, are coming. If you're buying a PC in 2024, chances are you'll probably buy a PC that has that, on it, if you're buying a, a, a high grade, you know, a, a upper level PC, Christian, what do you think? What what's AI's capability at the local level? Like we think of AI today as large language models. I send off a query, I get some stuff back. That's all being done and calculated it in the cloud, right? But what's the what do you think the the next frontier at the local level is? Because we always Listen, we bounced back and forth mainframe to to the PC, then back to the cloud and back to the PC, and then back to the cloud and back to the PC. Seems like we keep going back and forth on these. 
any thoughts at the local level of generating your own or running your own models that may have some benefit uh, to, to an individual I'm trying to think like, how could I use AI locally? Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it's funny. Like AI locally is still, I feel like we're still figuring it out. Like I sometimes will pull out the chat GPT app on my iPhone and ask questions that I'm thinking about. And so it's almost like a ponder board for me. And again, that's where that generative aspect I think is really valuable right now. I'm still waiting to see like, how can we use AI to just automate a lot of what's going on with the operating system? Like I call it the human, the human aspects of maintaining the operating system, if that makes sense. And, um, um, that, you know, I, I still feel we don't quite have in a way that's just so easy. You don't even have to think about it without like a service or a subscription or a thing, but like video and audio transcription, I feel like should be highly accurate, super easy to use right from the desktop or the phone moving forward. Um, I think that again, we we've talked in the past about, you know, index indexing and reinventing search for the local desktop and PC and, and phone like should be completely rethought and re-engineered with AI at this point. Um, and you know, then after that, like, Oh, there's so many cool, weird use cases for like just the individual for how to use AI. And it's really, in many respects, it's like the limits of what you want to ask it, uh, or, or, try it out with, whether it's generating these, these image graphics or asking it about finance ideas or, you know, you know, asking it to help validate code that you've developed and tested. Like I just, there's so many endless things that it can do that I don't really know that there's easy answers for how people are going to use it in a home setting. Right. But yeah. I mean, yeah. I think we can work backwards from, well, what are humans spending time doing? Um, like from an engineering standpoint, I always tell my engineers, right, your job is to automate yourself out of the job you're doing today. Like that's your job. That's, that's what we do. We do scale. Um, we do it really well. And, um, if you go in with that mindset of, I'm going to build something that automates uh, my, you know, automates me out of what I have to do today by hand, uh, it's a really good way to, um, think about it. And think about it with AI as well. So that's kind of my mental model right now, but it's not much yeah. more specific than that. I kind of wonder if it's at the personal level. In other words, if I had my own AI signature, so to speak, all the things that, you know, we we think today all the stuff we load to the cloud, pictures, uh, text stuff, things we've done you think about a, a resume, right? Or a CV, as some people call it. What if there was an AI signature that you would create locally of all the stuff that you're doing or you want to do, and then you would use that to plug into AI models here in the future to say, hey, wait a minute, when you're writing this, when you're thinking about this, take me into consideration. These are This is my history. This is what I know. These are the things I've done. This is who I am. This is how I write, <laughs> right? I mean, if I was going to add my own writing samples, although it's been a million years since I've actually written anything of that kind of, right? But still thinking of knowing who I am and what, what I've done, of creating that model locally, 
and then interfacing it with uh, whatever cloud model, compute model, and maybe the commute the compute is local. In other words, maybe the 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 AI model in the cloud then comes local, marries it with my model, generates some things and modifies that to give me a specific answer that's modeled towards me. I don't yeah. know. That's you know. Well, and that's actually. That's one of the big debates right now on the ethics side of AI is that um, Sam Altman was talking last week about how it's going to get really uncomfortable for a while because a lot of what they're seeing with the new stuff they're working on is that you will start getting different answers based on what country you're in and what locale mm-hmm. and what customs and what you know culture. So, um, yeah, how do you at that point, how do you distinguish when the answer is being personalized to you because the AI knows something about you versus where you live or what culture you're in? So that that, that just scratches the surface of what's going to be a, a AI ethics 101 course someday in universities, I hope. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah it's, it's super undefined right now because there are yeah. there really are not in my mind, there are not meaningful guardrails. People may have yeah. good intentions of guardrails, but there's not really guardrails. Too, too interesting. You you said something earlier. I'll bring this up. It may be a little small for people to see. So let me, let me bump this up to, there we go. So you talked about a little bit about some requirements of something. I can't remember what it was. And uh, maybe you said the word Windows 12. And I was like, Windows 12? What? Oh, you had said the basic requirements for a PC, 16 gig of RAM, right? Because of all these things. And I was like, oh, I wonder what the the basics, uh, the minimum requirements for Windows 12 is. So I'm in the same browser, by the way, these two, these two examples I'm going to show you. Same browser, so same generative AI engine doing this. So the question I ask, minimum requirements for Windows 12. And of course, it came back with a very definitive answer. As of December 2023, the minimum requirements for Windows 12 are this. Assuming, right, that like all of a sudden it sounds like it's out, right? And then you go, then down below it says Windows 12 is expected to be compatible with Intel's 14th gen Meteor Lake, blah, blah, blah. Okay, same browser, next page. As of January 15th, 2024, same generative AI says, Microsoft has not officially announced a new version of Windows. However, some leaks suggest that Windows 12 may be released in 2024. Here is, now, we're this is the, then the 18th of January. Who knows? There's been a lot of speculation around Windows 12. I only know this because I've been listening to Windows Weekly. They talk about it all the time. This is one of those things where generative AI really struggles. <laughs> well, one, it's current events, right? We, we know that for sure. But, uh, but two, um, it doesn't, it just, it starts making these assumptions. Like enough people say it in the, like this is Windows 12 has had giant speculation around it. And um, so enough people have talked about it that the generative AI kind of goes, well, yeah, of course it's out there. These are some things that I've seen, and this is kind of the, the general. And yet then you kind of go, well, but it hasn't been announced yet. So what do you, where are you getting your information from kind of deal? So it, Christian, this is in that space of, I, I don't know if it's because it's the newest of news or it's the, it's just, it seems like if it can't figure it out, it doesn't want to be wrong. And it just makes it up for the most part based on speculation. Now, 
I may be questioning the fact. I don't know. I had to go. This is. I had to go. I was like, did Windows announce? Or did Microsoft announce this? And I don't really know if they have or if they haven't. If it's true or if it's not. I mean, it really is tough right now to get any accurate answer on is has there been a Windows 12 announced? It according to the two queries that I've done, it's super unclear. That's a worry for me a little bit, right? And especially the way it seems so factual when it does when it does think it's right but it's wrong. Yeah. Um and and again these are these are areas that even if you talk about, you know, what I still think is the largest problem um, that we're going to face with the um, hallucination effect. Right. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. We're, we're still there could maybe we solve that. And then maybe there's the next set of whack-a-moles behind that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that is not, it's not that those classes of problems don't concern me, but I'm just not even sure that we know what the like full enumeration of problem set is yet. Like if you think about other topic areas like security, uh, like just take like cybersecurity for for example, it's not that you necessarily know what every zero day or every like possible vulnerability is going to be, but generally like we have a pretty good understanding at this point, what the different classes or domains of problems are when it comes to information security. And in many respects, I still feel like we're figuring out, those categorizations of, mm-hmm. of, um, what works, what doesn't work, what's research, what's not, what, what are real guardrails, what are fake guardrails, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, that, that yeah. I find yeah. fascinating. Yeah. By the way, uh, both of those on brave, both of those queries on brave using Google and I, it's barred, right? It's that's their, um, that that is their version of um, of the AI engine. I asked uh, Bing the same question. It says according to a credible uh, report by How to Geek, <laughs> uh, Microsoft is planning to release Windows 12 in late 2024. However, Microsoft has not officially announced Windows 12 as a release date as of February 2023. 20, um, yeah, it's it it's in some of these areas, especially when it's new. Uh, new information, or sometimes when there's so much conversation around it and you have people posting things as facts, even though they're not, it, it confuses the hell out of the AI engine there. It's like, ah, I don't know if this is real. If it's not trusted sources, I think we're going to have to solve the idea of trusted sources, mm-hmm. this, which which is a battle in the last 20 years we've been trying to do as humans with news, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, and not just the trusted sources, but now you're also seeing the lawsuits around content use. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, just the content, what feeds the hungry bear is going to be equally. And I mean, we've always said just from a basic ML standpoint, bad data in, bad data out, um, but it's much harder to measure much harder to measure that um, yeah. with the the speed and size of these models now. So, wait a minute. You said hungry bear. Did 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 you <laughs> did you spot? Speaking of a hungry bear, when you were at Heavenly, you mentioned it at the beginning of the show. Did you see one of those? Yeah, you got you get that was an excellent transition. Uh, 
Yes, I um, when we were skiing at Heavenly, I had the rare um, occurrence of um, going down a blue trail and um, there were like two other people standing, which was really weird to be just like stopped dead in the middle of a blue trail. Um, and when I stopped, we were all looking at a, um, a black bear uh, home to California and a kind of interesting that it was they're pretty rare to see um, in the resort, by the way. Um, in that video, you can see it making its moves. Um, and that's when we got the heck out of Dodge. Um, and, uh, I got several photos as well. It was worth, it was rare enough for the resort that an ABC reporter covered it. Uh, and you can see in that video, um, there, the bear is on the move. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's the fastest I've ever skied down a, a trail was that experience. <laughs> and I mean, you can see in that video, like it's, it's moving. Um, yeah. yeah. Moving well too. Yeah. yeah. If you're watching the earth, you're only listening to the audio. We're showing a little bit of the video. I don't know if this is going to get pulled down with a copyright strike, uh, after showing that that is ABC uh, it is an ABC news video. So we'll have to see how that, uh, how that works itself out. I may have to take that out. Um, I will leave a link in the show notes in case we do, we do have to take that out of the video. It'll make the audio. Uh, so head over to the average guy.tv slash HGG five nine seven. And I'll have the link to it um, as well. So they didn't, but they didn't interview you for the, for the new spot. There was somebody else they were interviewing for that. Is that right? Yeah, the person they interviewed was the the woman standing right next to me um, when everyone's Came taking photos. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was pretty wild. Uh, yeah. Did you? What was? What were you thinking? I mean, so you see this bear? How far away was it from you? I was maybe no more than thirty feet away. Um, the wow. guy. Yeah, the guy that was like really an idiot that you see in that video standing behind the yeah. bear was maybe like no more than ten to fifteen feet away, and we're like, You're dude, <laughs> we're like, dude, yeah. yeah, right there, that picture. We're like, dude, what are you doing? And we're like <laughs> screaming to this guy, like, like you're in the bear's space, like you got to back off. But what was interesting was that the bear was not interested in the guy who was super close. He then got interested in, you know, us standing slightly down the hill in its vision so when you see that video the bear you know brawling across the um the trail um that that was like right in our our standing area yeah. so like i said yeah. Yeah. get yeah. on the skis and flew out of there because um, <laughs> i just i you know oh yeah. that's awesome as soon as i saw the bear move i was like wow they move really fast and i'm like wow i'm not moving at all i need to be yeah. moving right now um, so like I said, yeah. I flew down that trail, um, and I, I wiped out like another halfway down the trail and was just like, okay, I'm going to rest here for a little bit. I was, I was just kind of done after that. It's a little scary. I mean, they're like snow dogs. They, and they, they hustle across the snow. Like they are all muscle and they move, uh, pretty quickly. Joe says, Hey, he was just looking for his picnic basket. And that's an old Yogi, Yogi, the bear. You know, I won't, I won't do the voice, but, uh, that's an old reference to, to Yogi. Um, wow. Well, you, you had mentioned in pre-show when we were talking about this, uh, you'd mentioned bears are hibernating less maybe because we make food <laughs> so, so available for them, right. During the winter. 
you know, we're not very good at uh, keeping food away from them. So what, what's the incentive to go yeah. sleep? All yeah, there's no need. They can be year round creatures in a place yeah. like heavenly. So, yeah, well, I listen, I've skied a ton. I've never seen a bear. So good, good on you for, for, uh, for getting that, <laughs> getting that experience done. I thought only Christian Johnson. would. <laughs> I got to be, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty surreal. I will say be so. somewhere where a bear was and it would make, it would make the news. Well, Christian, thanks for, thanks for coming back tonight. I think what that will, will kind of close some things up. Uh, what's ahead for you. Uh, and we talked about, so you, you're doing some instrument rating on there, maybe some ham radio stuff yet to come on that. Anything else uh, you're you're looking ahead at here as we think of 2024? Yeah, that's a good question. What other trouble do I get myself into? <laughs> um, uh, what other kind of work? Yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll, work. Will probably be busy for the next you know few months. We'll uh, get some Maple Grove updates out. Um, yeah, some house projects, but yeah, try you know try to try to keep things. Uh, I still am in the uh, doing um, the community orchestra pretty oh, consistently yeah. so yeah, yeah. um four four regular season holder uh concerts and then like usually four to five community concerts so quite a bit of music for those that don't know tell them what you play and how long yeah i'm a uh second violinist um in our uh kind of county area orchestra um and i've been playing probably for the last twenty four we'll be on 25 years next year um, uh, started when I, I was late. I was considered late because I started violin when I was five and I studied <laughs> under the Suzuki method. And, um, yeah, now you can reverse engineer my age. That's awesome. That's horrible. Um, That's yeah, late. It's late. They consider three oh. the age to start, um, violin under the Suzuki method. And, um, you, you learn by, by, ear first and by uh you memorize all your music for your recitals etc and you don't learn um sight reading music until later um so yeah i was considered late i guess but it all worked out um but yeah, yeah. i doing it for almost a, a quarter century and um i never went professional with it so um uh, but it's it's been fun and important part of my life so um Nice, nice way to give back and still kind of keep the skills set up uh, by playing in the in the orchestra. And uh, yeah, the, the concerts are pretty great. Um, several of them are, are sold out ticket seating, so um, it's it's always a fun audience to play for. And uh, um, yeah, what what is your playing in a big orchestra like? Uh, there's for me, there's nothing more awe inspiring than to be at a concert and to hear. You know, and you look to hear that music being played together and you look up on the stage and everybody's just, and they're just regular people like you and me, like yeah. they're just showing up for the concert, right? They've been playing this their whole life. When you're up there and you're playing it, but it's, it's part of this gigantic piece. What, is that, what does that feel like for you? It's cool because you almost every time I'm up there, I'm like, there's no, you know, you have a sense of you're part of something greater. Um, the fact that music connects everyone's brains in this way is, is a fairly unique language in and of itself. And you know that you couldn't produce this type of sound without everyone doing their own little part. Um, so, it, you know, it is very cool. And um, 
in terms of the music that is played in an orchestra, or, you know, particularly at the symphony level, I mean, it's really hard to wrap your head around what the Bach and Brahms and Shostakovich and you know, there's just all these great composers that you know, Vivaldi. I could go on, but you know composition is nothing today like what it used to be I'm not saying that there aren't good modern day composers or otherwise but the the richness and the fidelity and the complexity to some of this music is just uh, you'll never see it again so they really are um kind of masterpieces frozen in time in a way um and the fact that we still recreate them in a live audience is super remarkable to me because i could see a future where maybe that's a very very rare thing um, so, you know, if you think about it, like what was the hype, you know, this, in this generation, AI is the hype, but 500 years ago, the arts was a big hype, right? Mm -hmm. How do you make mm -hmm. the arts? The magical, most? right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The uh, common man, it was, it was magical. It was mm -hmm. mystical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. and playing that same music 500 years later is just as mystical. Um, so it's, it's interesting, Christian, as you say that. I think, I wonder how many times in those 500 years it's almost gone away. I mean, because, you know, classical music, what we call classical music, uh, it hasn't always been valued and it's probably gone through some iterations. And, you know, maybe there were some moments where there just wasn't enough people playing the instruments to put something together, at least on a broad scale. Right. I don't know. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, I watch a guy. It's really, 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 and we'll wrap it on this. I watch a guy who, who on YouTube, I've been watching a guy recently and who takes current works or past works and plays them and then gets on his keyboard and talks about the musical, uh, the composition behind it and how the, um, how the math works behind the music. Like this is why, these things work right musically or not work or interesting chords or how sometimes two different um, um, two different keys can work together or how they can shift you know how they can shift the piece to two different keys anyways you see him it took me a while but you see him the guy is a scale master like he can tell you key every note in that scale every note like in fast. And then he, all those things that relate to that. How, when you think about the violin and that you're playing, do you have to have the same precision from a key perspective to be able to say this key and some crazy, like you think a key's like, oh, there's seven of them. No, there's there's a ton of them, right? Yeah. And different key signatures and stuff. Do you, yeah. You you do, you, I mean, you develop, it's the only instrument where there is no um, set position that's marked. Right. So with a keyboard, it's marked by the key that you're pressing in a guitar. It's marked by the fret. Um, but on a string instrument. So and I'm going to define that as violin, viola, cello, bass, double bass. There is no um, position marker and where your finger is on that string when it's pressed will change how it resonates and vibrates at what frequency and just the slightest changes in where that finger is, is technically a different note. It's a different vibration. So, and then the violin specifically is the most expressive instrument because from a technical perspective, it has the greatest um, range. I think it's, 
Uh, I'm gonna musicians listening to me are gonna scream. You might I'm have gonna, to revoke your Suzuki. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna get this really wrong, but it's it's over. It's over four octaves, and it is more expressive than maybe even some of the best trained uh, human vocalists. Right, the a- average vocalist. You're lucky if they do two and a half octaves and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. So violin is, I think, um, four and a half to 4.7 octaves. And someone can go yell at me later on that. But it's what my music theory is telling me at the moment. Um, and there's just, there's no comparison to that anywhere else. And so everything that you l- therefore are learning when you learn a string instrument is muscle memory, right? So like, I, you know, look at how many violin i mean you don't play with your you don't have to play with your eyes open to hit the note correctly why because your your body and your muscle memory knows exactly where all those notes are that you're trying to hit to be fair the human vocal cord is much shorter than the violin length (laughs) and so you get a little more you get a little more distance right on the violin but but um yeah well it's yeah it's touch it's it's memory right um, by the way, John wants to know what were you what what were you doing in those two years, Christian? Jeez. Yeah. I mean, three to five? It was, you, it was, you... <laughs> I was pretty slow in those ages. So, you know, I didn't say more than five words until I was probably five. So I did a lot of listening and now I do a lot of talking. So oh, it all good. bottled up and then it came out. So then sorry. It came it came busting out. Well, yeah. we're glad it did. And uh and those around you are glad it did as well. And so um, you know, it's the, the the certainly the talent is there. You know, one of the things we've never done is the hundreds of times that we have podcasted together, you've never played your violin on the podcast. That's true. Yeah. You could change that at some point. You know, Dave, Dave Jackson, every once in a while on, on uh, ask the podcast coach, we'll get out his guitar and, uh, and do a riff. So All right. maybe All right. sometime we'll have to figure out how to, a way to work in the, uh, the old, vi- do you play anything else? Do you have any other any other instruments that you play? I had a weird foray in a saxophone for a couple of years. Oh, I um, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I can like uh, right hand keyboard and sing averagely well, but that's about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I played sax. I wanted to play banjo during the Steve Martin era. Like Steve Martin played banjo, and I thought, "Oh, this would be really cool." It's really hard. It's a re- and the the strings are steel, so like it's very hard on your fingers. Not just like the they're not plastic. Guitar is not plastic. What's what's a violin string made out of? Do you know? Oh, I'm gonna get this wrong. Gosh, is it synthetic or is it is you, it part of so the it? It used to be an animal. Um, yeah. Uh, like I think we're literally talking like like lamb guts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah sheep yeah, sheep yeah. intestine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but now you can get them synthetic. You can get nylon and steel, etc. Um, but I think sheep gut is actually still pretty popular. Um, and then a bow is obviously um a horsehair. Mm. Um, so horsehair, mm-hmm. and then you put this resin which creates a kind of friction between the bow hair and the string. And then when you're making that pulling motion, that's what's actually vibrating the string. Oh, that's cool. I have my neighbor two doors up. He restores violence. That's what he does. Oh, nice. 
yeah. I gotta go. I gotta go to that guy and be like, hey, yeah. check check yeah. out check out my board. <laughs> uh, he's he's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. Yeah, he just that's he he restores them. So super cool, Christian. Always great to have you on. Thanks again for coming on and uh, and good luck with the flight uh, with the uh, instrument flight stuff. Earlier on, uh, somebody had said uh, that eventually you'll be able to fly with your eyes closed. But you wouldn't do that. I mean, you can play the violin with your eyes closed. Yeah, well, well, we'll uh, not, that, not that kind of flying, right? That's right. Yeah, we'll we'll keep our eyes closed to the outside and open to the oh, inside. Right, right. No, be watching everything. You want to, this is not a. You're not doing this for uh for adrenaline rush. You're doing it to get nope. from one place to another, right? So. Yep. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll remind everyone to check out if you want to join us in the Discord group. And Christian is out there. If you got questions for us, head out to theaverageguy.tv slash Discord. You can leave us a message at uh, homegadgetgeeks.com, theaverageguy.tv platform, both web and media hosting. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Hosted by Maple Grove Partners. That's Christian. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. And yes, optimized for WordPress and podcasting. But Christian, it can kind of, you can kind of figure out just about anything, right? If somebody had a special kind of setup they wanted, you could kind of figure out anything, couldn't you? Yeah, tag me in the Discord. Give me some setups. Yeah. Give me some thoughts. <laughs> I, I um I I do well when people tag me in Discord. I don't do well okay. when it's just like a stream of conversation yeah. across all these random channels I'm in. My Discord has blown up into this wild place these days. So oh. uh, it's uh, it's a I very to... go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it's a very utilized platform for me. I'm in all these oh. different rooms. So um, if if I if you don't see me engaging in a conversation, you think I might have something to say and just tag me because I I look at the mentions almost immediately, um, yeah. even if I'm not tracking individual threads. So. And you are the last Jedi, right? The last Jedi. Yep. The last Jedi on, on Discord. We actually use Discord as a family chat. The kids, some of the kids didn't want to use Facebook. Some of them didn't whatever. And, uh, and so we, we moved on to discord and now we have a very successful, uh, discord channel just for the family. In fact, Sammy, we off the general chat made a sub chat. Is that what you call it on discord of she's in Boston right now, uh, enjoying some, I'm not sure she's going to come back just to be honest. <laughs> she's having such That'll a good time out there. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. having such a good time. I'm not sure she's coming back, but uh, anyways, Secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people you know and you trust. Plans start as little as $10 a month. Check it out today. Maple Grove Partners, all one word, maplegrovepartners.com. We are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out here at theaverageguy.tv. If you join in the Facebook, or in the uh, Facebook, if you join us in the Discord group, you'll uh, you'll get notifications of when we are live. Last week, appreciate you guys giving me the week off. My mother-in-law had passed. And uh, so we drove out to Kentucky for her funeral. Always appreciate the kind words you guys threw in there. But next week, Bob and Ryan from thinkcomputers.org will be here talking all things CES. And if I can't think of any more anticlimactic thing that's happened over the last couple of years, but there's some really cool stuff they found at CES. So we'll be chatting about that next week. Come out and join us. For those listening live, thanks for coming out. With that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. Good night, everyone.